Well, I bring you greetings from our church in Turtenthal, that's how I say it, uh, in Switzerland, the church Hope and Light. And when I say I'm happy to be here, I really mean it. <laughs> uh, last fall, I was not able to be here because of severe travel restrictions. This time, I almost couldn't be here because of um, severe travel issues. Let's leave it at that. So I'm truly happy to be here. The challenge this morning is I tried to pack three sermons in one. So I hope you brought some extra time. I brought extra time because it took me two days instead of 15 hours to get here. Just a little bit about the travel issues. But anyway, um, let me get started here. And um, I'd like you to picture this. You're all familiar with the Titanic, right? Now imagine the Titanic, it's not, it's not sailing, it's sinking already. And you're observing a steward vacuuming the dining room, arranging tables and chairs. What would you think? What a waste. What a fool. What are you doing? This is not the time to arrange tables. Well, today I want to show you seven lessons. Seven lessons from Matthew 7, 6 that we all need to learn. So we don't waste our lives. So we don't run around like fools, being busy but wasting time, wasting the gifts God has entrusted to us, and maybe even waste the whole life. So I'd ask you to please open your Bibles. I'm reading Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, oh, let me take the speck out of your eye and look. The log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First... Take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and turn you to pieces." Now, I titled the message, Don't Waste What God Has Entrusted to You. Don't Waste What God Has Entrusted to You. And today I will focus on verse 6. Words coming straight from the mouth of Jesus. Words that, well, at first sight might seem rather shocking, if not to say completely unloving 
He's talking about dogs and pigs. And he means people. But the exact opposite is true. This is not shocking. This is not unloving. Rightly understood, Jesus' stern warning and command. Those are imperatives here. Will actually free you up. Rightly understood, this will free you up. It will encourage you. It will equip you to live up to the high calling of being an ambassador of Christ. A fisher of man. A disciple Or as Jesus put it earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, salt and light in this world, in this time, in this place, wherever God has put you. Now the point that Jesus is making, I think it's quite clear. He's trying to tell us that there are things that are not to be Wasted, like throwing pearls to the pigs. Who in his right mind would feed pigs with pearls? That's stupid. That's absurd. The holy things he's talking about, and the church, the, the pearls that he's talking about, they represent the gospel message, which is truly a holy gift of God. A holy gift of God to humanity, to you, with the power to bring lost man unto salvation. With the power to bring saved man unto sanctification. And finally, bring those who believe to glorification. Now this precious gospel then is something that we need neither be ashamed of, as Paul says in Romans 1.16. says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he's saying this because obviously he knows the moments, and so do you and I. Where we were ashamed. We were hiding. We were not speaking up. And he's not ashamed because it's the power of God unto salvation. So we need neither be ashamed nor waste it. We got to learn to use it wisely, wisely, and in a manner that God wants it to be used. My friends, I'm not exaggerating when I'm telling you that unlocking these truths here in Matthew 7, 6 will set you free. It will set you free to serve God efficiently and joyfully. I assume that's what we all want. In John 8, 32, we read, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is truth. This truth will set you free. It will set you free to serve God in a God-honoring way. With this in mind, I want to dive right into those seven lessons I announced. Lessons to be learned so you don't waste your life. So you don't waste what's been entrusted to you. Now lesson number one, and this is embedded in the context, and that's why I read Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Lesson number one is be discerning. Be discerning. 
7.1 starts, do not judge, judge not. Judge not in the sense of condemning other people, which we're sometimes very quickly to do. And we are not to judge because you are neither able nor called to do so. My friend, you don't know the heart of the person sitting next to you or anybody else. As a matter of fact, you don't even know your own heart and neither do I. I cannot judge. I cannot cast a final word on anything. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God has to show it to you and to me by his grace so we know what's going on in our hearts. But why is it that judging, being judgmental, seems to come so easy to us? You know, how easy is it to look down on somebody else and say, oh, I would never do this. How could he? Why do we judge? Because we feel better. We feel superior. We make him look bad, so I look good. And he comes so easily and so naturally and it's so dangerous and so devastating for any relationship, for, for our testimony in this world. And you know what's interesting? Usually we're pretty hard on others and pretty lenient on ourselves. Isn't it that way? I mean, there's a ton of excuses why I couldn't do this or handle it that way or whatever. But while we're not to judge, what should we rather do? Well, he says it. Take the log out of your eye. Because, well, you've got to picture this. This is, this is almost like in a comic. He's talking about a tree stem sticking out of your eye, okay? This is what he's picturing here. Just imagine you go to the eye doctor because you have an eye problem. And he shows up and he has a log sticking out of his eye and says, well, let me help you. What would you do? I would run. (laughs) I don't want this guy work on my eyes. So he says, take it out. So you get the right perspective. So you can see clearly. Because if you can't see clearly, you don't know what you're doing or where you're going. We don't need a perspective of being judgmental. We need a perspective as we read it in Galatians 6.1. 6.1. Galatians 6.1. It says, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, go and knock him out. Judge him. Really give it to him. You who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. And, and, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. You know, it, this time it was him. Next time it might be you. If we don't stumble, it's because of the grace of God and nothing else. And if we stumble, what would you rather 
have? Someone come to you in a spirit of gentleness or someone with a big sledgehammer? We don't judge. We're neither able nor called to do so. So we need the right perspective. We need a Galatians 6.1 perspective or we need a Jesus perspective. Listen what he says in Matthew, uh, not Matthew, John 12, 46. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that no one who believes in, in me will remain in darkness. If anyone hears my teaching and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teaching has who judges him. The word which I spoke, that will judge him on the last day. My friends, now is not judging time. Now is saving time. Now is restoring time. Not judging. And we got to be able to discern this. Now... The call not to judge, and here I transition to verse 6, which we're going to focus on. The call to not judge does not mean to be totally naive and undiscerning in every aspect, okay? On the contrary, and I hope you understand and see it in the text, that in order to live up what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 6, you need to have discernment. Because you got to know, okay, those are dogs, and those are pigs, and those are not. And those are pearls, and those are not. Right? you got to be able to discern. So lesson number one, we need discernment. Lesson number two, always a good one, learn from examples. Learn from examples. And here I want to direct your focus Towards Jesus and the apostles. The principle that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 7, 6. He kind of elaborates on in Matthew 10. Please turn there. In Matthew 10, verses 14. There he's sending out disciples to make disciples. And listen to what he tells them. Listen carefully. Matthew 10, 14, he says, he sends them out, and then he says, And whoever does not receive you, nor listen. They're not listening. Well, just keep on pounding. No. And whoever does not receive you, nor listen to your words, as you leave that house or city, shake off. The dust of your feet. Move on. Move on. Here we have the principle of shaking off the dust and moving on if they're not listening. Now the apostles learned this. This is, when I saw this, (laughs) I about fell out of my study chair. Really, this is, I mean it shouldn't surprise us, but yet again, Jesus gives the disciples a clear command. And the apostles caught on to it. We'll see it in Acts 13. Acts 13, at the end of the chapter, verse 51. 
You know, Paul was evangelizing. He went to the Jews until they kicked him out. He went to the nations until they didn't like him anymore, which means they wanted to kill him. Exact words. What do they do? Why do they do it? Because they learned from Jesus. But they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy. They didn't feel bad. Oh, we're abandoning those poor people. We're not sticking around. No, they knew. They had discernment. They knew when it's time to do what and when it's time to move on. Exactly. Exactly what Jesus has taught them. So I think we do well learning from those examples. This leads us to point number three, which ties right in. We got to know our responsibilities, but we also got to know our limitations. We got to know our responsibilities and we got to know our limitations. Now, sowing and watering That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. Can you can you cause growth? Can you? Mm-mm. Neither can I. If you would go to Matthew 4:26 and the preceding verses, we see a farmer. This is the same picture. He's sowing. You know, he's doing his field. And then what does he do? takes a siesta. <laughs> he goes to sleep. Why? Because that's all he can do. And while he's sleeping, God causes growth. My responsibility, sow and water. My limitation, don't try to force growth because you can't. You can't pull those plants out of the ground. I have a garden. You know, I'd like to sow and reap the next day, wouldn't you? doesn't work. I can't even, if I sow, I cannot make anything grow. Maybe I'll sow and I'll do everything and nothing will grow. So I got to know my responsibility and my limitations. And we all know only God, he's, he's not only the one that can give growth, but only God can give a new heart. We can't do that. Now this applies to evangelism in general. And it applies to raising children in particular. Oh, I wish I had more time because this is so dear to my heart. I'm a father of six children. They're not all believers. Yet. Hopefully. You can't make them believers. No matter how hard you try. You have a responsibility. And again, here you need to be balanced. You got to know responsibilities and discern them from limitations from things that are not meant for you to do we all know Ephesians 6 1 through 4 hopefully where it says that we are supposed to bring our children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord that's what we have to do and one passage if you never turn to it or you never read it in this context It's great comfort to me as a father. 
as a pastor, as a pastor entering the pulpit, knowing I don't have picture-perfect children at home, okay? By the way, we're all children of our Father in heaven. And listen what the Father in heaven, and he's perfect, I'm not. I don't need to explain that to you. (laughs) We're not perfect, but he is. In Isaiah 1, God is talking to Israel, and listen to what he says. Isaiah 1, verse 2. Listen. Oh, this is a key word during, throughout this sermon. Listen. You either listen or you don't. And listening has not primarily to do whether your ears are working. Listening implies listen and do, obey. That's listening. So God says, listen, heavens, and hear, earth. For the Lord has spoken. This is what he said. Sons I have raised up and brought up, but... Now here's God. Almighty, all-perfect God. The perfect Father. But... They have revolted against me. An ox, he says, knows its owner, and a donkey its master. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Now, the perfect father says the people who are supposed to listen who enjoyed all the love and all the gifts I've given them, all the provision throughout the years. They're dumber than an ox and more stubborn than a donkey. You probably think, oh, I got a few of those at home. (laughs) Hey, it's in the Bible, okay? Well, I got to know my responsibility I also got to be aware of God-given reality. Or if I could, I'd make my children and anybody I run into a believer, but I can't. I do what I'm called to. And the rest, my friend, I have to leave up to God. And in this context, we all know God eventually... He moved on. He kind of shook the dust of his feet and turned from Israel and turned to, to us, to the Gentiles. But he didn't forget because they're still his children. Just like we don't forget our children, okay? We remember them and the time will come. But it's not now where he will restore them. Only God can give new hearts. And only God can revive cold and indifferent hearts. One applies primarily to evangelism, the other to discipleship. And you know, the principle of Matthew 7, 6 not only applies to evangelism, but as I said, it applies to discipleship. Discipleship, you want to work with people, but you know, George Bush, he came up with the term. You might remember, some of you. He was talking about the coalition of the willing. 
You can only work with those who are willing to work with you. You can't force it. You can't disciple someone if he refuses to be discipled. So, what do you do? Well, I learned to give advice, advice when asked for. <laughs> and preferably, I'd like to give it to someone on a regular basis who kind of listens to it. I'm sure you're all familiar with the book of Proverbs. And there it says in chapter 15, 5, A fool despises his father's instruction. He laughs at you. But whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Those who listen. And then 23.9 it says. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. Do not talk to someone who's not listening. Because I might as well talk to the piano here. You'd say you're funny. (laughs) We don't talk to pianos in Switzerland. Don't worry. Um. Because we learned this, do not speak when no one's listening. Do not speak. For he will despise the good sense of your words. Just like, who are you? You have no idea. You don't know what's going on. This can happen in a church. Open Second Timothy 3. And here you see the same principle. And this is what I want you to catch. And we'll get there. But it's all over. And when you see it and understand it, it'll free you up to do what you're called to do. Second Timothy 3. But realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. Whenever I read this, I think, Paul, did you just walk through Zurich and kind of shut down what you saw? You know there's no good old times, right? You know when the good old times stopped? Genesis 3. Well, four people, one brother kills the other. That's not good old times. So here he goes. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be (laughs) lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderous, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, a big one, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, here comes the big one. They do all this and think, oh, I'm a perfect Christian. (laughs) They see no problem with it. Don't disciple those guys. Listen to what Paul says. They are holding to a form of godliness. They pretend to be godly. Although they have denied its power, the power of the gospel unto salvation and transformation, your life is made new when you become a new believer. And if you keep on living like you did before and try to justify it, Here's Paul's advice, and we should take it to heart. Avoid such people. Move on. Move on to those who want to listen. Now, I understand this might sound like hard teaching. 
but it's sound teaching. And these truths will set us free to invest the time and energy we have where it's worth it. So this applies to discipleship. It also applies to church discipline. Same principle. It's all over. It's all over. And we got to understand it. Because I don't know how you were raised up. I was raised up and I think I, I was taught the only virtue there is and the only one worth hanging on to is perseverance. You know, you have somebody, you want to give him the gospel, and you're like a pit bull. <sighs> and you don't let go. I mean, you kill the guy, okay? You can kill him with the gospel. Don't do it. Move on. There's times to move on. And I'll show you why it's okay and good and freeing to move on because there's someone who tells us to do it, and we should listen to him. So in church discipline, same pattern. It's amazing. Matthew 18, 15. And by the way, what's the goal of church discipline? Restore. Not get, oh man, I'm glad he or she is gone. Finally, we got her out of here. No, the goal is to win the brother over. But you can only win them if they do what? Listen. And this is what dominates the passage. Listen. Listen. Huh. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. You got to show him. We're not talking about preferences or conscience issues. We're talking about sin issues, okay? Sin. It has to be clear-cut sin. And you got to show, maybe he... He or she doesn't even understand that what she or he is doing is sinful. So you got to show them first. Say, look, my friend, in case you haven't noticed, or read this, what does this communicate to you? What do you think this means? And you go there. You don't need to tell anybody. You don't need to tell your prayer group, oh, for, for reasons of prayer, let me tell you. Did you know so-and-so? No. You go to the brother. And show him his fault in private. Now here he comes. If he listens. If he listens to you. You have won your brother. But if he does not listen. Take one or two more with you. So that one so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. It's not just your word against his. You bring witnesses. That witness, hopefully, that he listened and he repented and he's restored. Or that witness, he's not listening. It's all about listening. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to... Can you see it's all about listening? If he refuses to listen to the church, even to the church, it says, he is to be to you, very careful reading here, as a Gentile and a tax collector. It doesn't say he is one because you know what? You don't know, neither do I. We don't know hearts. But tax collectors don't want to obey God. 
We do. We're sometimes stubborn as donkeys. We know. I know. But eventually we listen and we repent. If he doesn't listen to the church, you have to put him out. You got to move on. There's separation, okay? But the goal, even after you have put somebody out, is restoring. He can't be part of the fellowship. He's not involved anymore. Maybe this will make him come to his senses and he'll repent. And you can keep on praying even if he's not here anymore or she. But the goal is to win. But you can only win people who listen. And eventually, for the sake of the purity and the sake of the protection of the other believers, you have to move on or move him out. Same principle. Move on. Move on. Same applies in counseling. (laughs) You know, people think they go to the counselor and he fixes them. Just like you go to the doctor, he gives you a pill and you're good. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. We're not doctors. We're not doctors. Only one can fix the soul and says, come to me all ye who are heavy laden and burdened and I will give your soul rest. We only bringing them to the one who can really heal them. But this only works if they work with you. So when I do counseling, I give, I give them homework. They don't do homework. They're not interested. I have no time. I move on because there's other people that probably want to listen. Doesn't mean I ditch them forever, but I'd say, look, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to help you. But if you're not working with me in this, if you're not doing the homework, if you're not looking at the text, I can't help you. God can help you, but you got to go to him. If not, I'm going to go somewhere else because there's other people that want to listen. So don't Waste your time and effort. Listen carefully for people who are unwilling, unruly, unteachable. Because it is a waste of time. I'm not talking about people being weak. Okay, this is not the issue. And usually we're all way slower than we'd love to be in the progress, okay? But if you see them struggling with it, and if they want to, and they do the best they can, and there's intention, weak as they might be, and just in case you forgot, we're all weak. Apart from the grace of God, we're all weak. We all need help. Weakness is not the problem. But unwillingness and unteachableness, I'll move on. You know what? I don't have a bad conscience. I would have a bad conscience sticking around, limiting myself, not making myself available to someone who wants to learn and grow. So here's kind of like the heart piece. Lesson number four, timing. Timing. This is like the key issue at hand here. Because you got to know when it's time to move on. And when it's time to move on, you know what you should do? 
move on. You got to move on. Now in the realm, let me circle back to this quickly. With children. With family. We can't just move on and leave them hanging there. Especially when they're little, you know. When they're older, the separation issue becomes clearer. But sometimes it's time to do rounds. Have you ever seen a 10,000 meter race? They do rounds. And every so often they cross the finish line. So we do rounds. And when we cross the finish line, so to speak, maybe there's an option to talk to our children again. And then we do another round. You know, we move on. We don't just stick around. We move on. We run the race. But every so often when we cross the finish line, we pray to God, please give me an opportunity to talk to a listening ear. To someone who wants to hear. And I'm sure you're all familiar with this general principle out of Proverbs 25, 11 through 12. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken is a word spoken in right circumstances at the right time. It's not always the right time. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. If it's not time for the ear to listen, don't talk. Move on. Go to someone who wants to listen. And when we talk about timing, there's two little Greek words I got to point out to you. There's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos, that's the flow of time. Kairos is a point in time, a very specific point in time. I have a chronograph. A watch shows me the flow of time. But there's certain points of time I better be where I'm supposed to be, right? <laughs> like work or church. So the point of time in the flow of time matters. And I hope you see where I'm going with this. Because sometimes a lot of chronos, a lot of time, a lot of time. I mean really a long time goes by and we're still waiting For this one moment in time. For God to intervene. Hmm. Especially with children. There's one example. It's not a child of mine. It's my sister. 30 years. 30 years after I got saved. She got saved. It took 30 years. In the flow of time, for the point of time, for her to get saved, came. Now, I didn't work her every time I saw her. But when there was an opportunity, I talked to her about the gospel. Sewing. And then I went back to bed like the farmer, hoping that God in his time will make it grow. Is that freeing or is that freeing? My friend, you cannot carry the load of being responsible for someone to get saved or not. Because you're not. And neither am I. Neither am I. But there's always hope. 
so don't give up. But be discerning so you don't waste your time. And be discerning so you don't miss those Kairos opportunities because they do come. But when they come, you know the saying, good things come to those who wait, but not to those who hesitate. When they come, you got to move, man. You got to talk. You got to grab it and just run with it. But you got to wait till it's there. You got to wait till it's there. And at this point, allow me to state the obvious because sometimes the obvious is so obviously overlooked. I don't know how you were saved. But one thing I know, nobody likes to be hammered with the gospel every time you see them. You know, the hammer approach? Oh yeah, it might be well-intentioned. But dude, I didn't like it. Nobody likes truth forced on him. You know, like geese that are supposed to deliver their liver (laughs) for delicacy. They hold them like this. They put a thing in their throat and just stomp it in there. Sometimes I think Christians act like that and they wonder why people aren't happy with them. Nobody wants to be worked on constantly. You know, like this. Nagging. Nag, nag, nag. Nag, nag. Proverbs again helps us out. Proverbs 19.13. A foolish son is ruined to his father. I'm sorry, that's what it says. And a wife's quarreling <clears throat> is a continual dripping of rain. Have you ever had that? You want to go to sleep? And it goes. Oh man, it's annoying. And it gets on your nerves. Right? Could somebody please stop the rain or the dripping or whatever it is? Well, that's how people feel when we nag on them with the gospel because we can't wait, because we don't trust the Lord for the appointed time, for the Kairos moment where there's a listening ear. My friend, don't do it. I know I've done it. You've probably done it. We've done it with the best intentions, but it doesn't work. It's not the plan. So... Don't waste your time on a field that doesn't yield any fruit. When right next to you there's a field waiting, begging to be harvested. Now I didn't come up with this. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white to be harvested. Three times. We obviously can be pretty blind. He says, look, lift up your eyes. See, he's basically saying, what's wrong with you? Can't you see the fields that are waiting to be harvested? And why are you hanging on to this poor soul like a pit bull? You know, no post officers, they come by and they get bitten by dogs every so often. That's not funny. You don't want to be that pit bull, but you want to be the harvester. You want the one that looks up. We got to look up. We got to see and then move in the fields. Don't waste, you know, if I have just so much water, I'm not going to put water on the rocky ground. I'm not going to water the thorn bushes. I'm not going to water the weeds. I'm going to water the plants that yield fruit. Or, you know, there's this thing in Israel that's good if you have skin problems. It's called the Dead Sea. Now, if you go fishing in the Dead Sea and complain that you're not catching any fish, 
Well, I can't help you, okay? <laughs> You're stupid. Sorry, there's no nicer word for it. You don't go fishing in the dead sea because there's no fish. Just move on. There's the Red Sea right next to it. You'll have much more success. But if you stick around at the Dead Sea, wondering why nothing is happening, well, it's because of you, because you're not moving on, because you're not listening, you're not looking up, you're not seeing what's out there. And you know, by trying to be faithful, sometimes we miss what's actually to be done. Oh, lesson number five, just trust the sovereignty of God. By moving on and letting go, you're not letting them go like you're in the mountains and they're going to fall and die. You're letting them go into the hands of God. And that's where we all belong. Trusting the sovereignty of God shows if we're ready to let go. And you know where it shows most? If we're ready to let go of those dearest to us, our children. And I have a few of those. But there's hope. And I want to run the race. I don't want to miss the opportunities. God knows when. He has the timing. He knows where we need to be. He knows the location where we got to be. He knows who we're supposed to go to and talk to. He knows what and how. We just bring him the plain old gospel. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, it's foolishness to the Greeks and um, a stumbling block to the Hebrews. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And we know nothing else but Christ and him crucified. That's the message. We don't have anything else. Or you better don't have anything else. And we go out with this. Because it's the only good news there is. You can picture it like this. In case you haven't noticed, but I think that can be. There's this thing called corona. Now imagine. You would really, I mean really, really have the vaccine or medication to make an end, put an end to all this corona madness. I mean one that really works. So you go out. But people don't want it. I mean, this is a proof. This is, okay, you get the picture, right? This is the real stuff. They don't want it. What do you do? You move on. Right? You go to those who want the medicine they need that keeps them healthy. Anything else would be foolish. It would be absolutely unloving. It would be illogical. It would be just not right. So we having the good news. We got to go, as Jesus instructed the disciples, to where they listen to you, where they receive you. And if not, you move on. And along those lines, I know it can be hard sometimes because, you know what, most people will not accept you. No change of plans. No change of plans. Change of location, but no change of plans, okay? You take the same message to a new location, and you never give up because 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us. And by the way, if you're taking notes, that's number six, never give up. 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us what's expected of a steward. And stewards are people who are entrusted with something. What's expected of a steward? Faithfulness. 
faithfulness with the mission entrusted to him. The mission is sowing and watering and moving on, not producing fruit, because we can't. So you are but a steward, and so am I, of the holy things, of the pearls that have been entrusted to us, so that we handle them in the way that he who entrusted them to us wants them to be handled. And he says, go, do it. If they don't listen, move on. My friend, if we actually don't do this, we're disobedient. We're in sin, because disobedience is sin, and this is so freeing. When I studied for this text, I thought, man, this is so good. Well, it's good because it's of the Lord. So that's your duty. That's your responsibility. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. You go. My last point, lesson number seven. Don't forget. There's a few things we should not forget. I'm only a channel. I'm not the source. I'm not the spring. I'm not the well of blessing. I'm sure you know the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Okay? He's the fount of every blessing. I'm just the channel. The water of life. The water of life flows from God. Hopefully, through me, to those who are listening. In John 7, 38, Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And they flow out of you to water the gospel seed that has been sown so that this seed might grow and bear fruit. That's what we do. That's our calling. And along those lines, let everybody, we're not selective. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what color you are, what ethnicity you have. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, adult or a child. Everyone, let everybody taste the goodness of God. Because you know why? Because Romans 2, 4 says... Don't you know that it's the goodness of God that moves you unto repentance? It's not the fear of hell. It's not the fear of punishment. It's when you see that you deserve punishment, but God is still good to you. That's what kills our stubborn hearts. That's the only thing. In the end, it's the goodness of God. That moves us unto repentance. So go out there and let them taste it. By loving them. By being there for them. By sowing generously. Because you know what? You don't even have to buy the seed. It's just there. It doesn't cost you anything. But going. And don't waste the holy gospel. And the precious pearls. On the pigs and dogs. Because this is pretty serious. When you do it. Jesus says. They will disdain the message and they will destroy the messenger. In Act 7, Stephen got a taste of this. They killed him because he came with the gospel message. He didn't move on in time. They killed him. Yeah, they killed. Sometimes this happens. 
But we're not looking. We're not, I don't have a martyr syndrome like, oh, I hope I'm going to be treated really bad. No, I hope not. But if it's that way, yes. But, you know, Steve, Stephen, he didn't evangelize anybody anymore after he was dead. <laughs> so we try to stay alive if we can. And we move on. In Ephesians 2, another thing that we should never forget. Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Why does Paul instruct us to remember? Because we tend to forget. Did you know we all started out as goats? And it's by the grace of God we became sheep. Don't ever forget. Nobody had a head start. Nobody had any advantage. This makes us tender to the sinners we're dealing with. Even our children. And yes, God is good. And God is patient. But my friend, there's a too late. There comes a time where it's too late. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, 4 we read. For it is impossible. And impossible means impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. When is it too late? You don't know, I don't know. But know that there is such a point where it's too late. God knows. So in light of this, I don't know where you stand, but I know what Hebrews 3, 7 says. Therefore, because there's a too late, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, and today is today. Today, if you hear, if you're listening, his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. So my friends, I hope I was able to encourage you to those freeing truth to be faithful stewards of the pearls of the most precious thing there is in the world, the gospel, that we'll be faithful stewards, knowing when it's time to stay, when it's time to move on, because we trust our all-good and sovereign Lord. And salvation is of the Lord, not of you and me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are a Savior God. You take no pleasure 
in the sinner being lost, but rather that he repent and turn around, be saved, have new life, to live a new life, to serve you according to the way we're being instructed in your word. And Lord, as children, we call upon you, our Father, and just want to thank you for your patience, for your gentleness, for your abounding, never-ending love towards us. And Lord, please let us love the lost sheep, the saved sheep, the way you have loved us. For your glory. Amen.